who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book two, The Men of the Sea. Chapter one, in which Astrea joins Cygnus. Astrea was wet, cold, and blind. He could not open his eyes, try as he might. Water sloshed around his feet, wind hissed in his ears. He rolled onto his side and rammed his shoulder against something hard. He was back on the molly, Roaring Jack was at the tiller, and he was headed for home. No, that was terribly wrong. He strained to sit up, but cords cut painfully into his wrists and ankles. His chin was between his knees, and something poked into his back. Spray dripped down on his face. He could taste salt, but he could not see. His boots were gone, and his bare feet were wet and cold. He clenched his fists, and his hands throbbed. I still love her. The muscles of Astrea's back strained as if they had a mind of their own, and the cords around his wrists tightened. His teeth clenched. He felt his temples throb. If he had been free, he would have drawn his knife and stabbed whoever had spoken. Then a splash of sea-water hit his face, washing away whatever had gummed his eyelids together. His sudden fury cooled into calculating anger. Through slit eyelids, Astrea looked around him as best he could. The hiss of spray, the creaking of cordage, and the slap of the boat's hull against the waves spoke of much greater speed than the molly's bucking and plunging pace through the waves. A waning moon glanced between torn clouds and lit a plume of spray blown off the crest of a wave. Astrea looked astern and could see nothing but rising and falling water against the moonlit sky, and two arms' lengths away the black silhouette of the steersman, his head down and shoulders humped. Then as the boat swayed, a pair of eyes gleamed momentarily, reflecting a green light that came from a ring on his clenched fist. It took only a moment for Astrea to realize that Adramen was steering by a smaller version of the green stone in Astrea's bracelet. Adramen's voice came from the darkness. "'Going about! Helms elite!' A rough hand grasped Astrea by the collar and tugged him to the windward side like a sack of flour. He struggled ineffectively. The supercargo's awake, said the owner of the hand. Then slip his lashings and get him up on the rail. 
said Adramin. Lindy. The lad's calling for his girlfriend, said a rough voice. He don't know he's a long, wet way from land. Someone else laughed one short, insulting bark. Hold still if you don't want to get hurt. The cords around his wrists and ankles loosened, but Estrella couldn't move. His fingers and toes throbbed painfully, and as he straightened his legs they cramped. Jacket in the corner, by your knees. Below the wide gunwale ran a narrow box, where Estrella found a bundle of oiled and waxed cloth, which proved to be a hooded jacket. He struggled into the garment, and soon began to feel, if not warmer, at least less cold. Protected from the stinging spray, he started to get his bearings. "'We're far enough out now,' said Adramin. "'Let's have the mast all the way up.' Estrella looked up past the boom into the belly of the sail, and on up to the gaff in its position at an angle roughly equal to that between thumb and index finger on an open hand. Two sailors bent to grasp halyards, another loosed what Estrella had thought were reef points, and the gaff slid up the mast, rose straight up and down, and dropped into a slot at the masthead. The boat's mast was now preposterously tall, and the sail no longer bellied, but set almost flat in a smooth triangle of canvas. Although Adramin had been sailing much faster than the Molly at her best, their speed now increased and with it the angle of heel. Adramin and his crew sat on the weather gunwale and leaned outboard to counterpoise the thrust of the wind. Estrella took a firm hold of the gunwale and sat between two of the crew. "'Tuck your feet under the thwart,' said Adramin, unaware that Estrella had already done so. The water rushed past, hissing an arm's length below where all five of them sat, occasionally splashing up as the boat's bow clipped the top of a wave or smacked down into a trough. The bodies of the crewmen sheltered Astrea somewhat, but his face and hands were soon spray-whipped and cold. "'Now the foresaw,' ordered Adramin. The man beside Astrea sat forward momentarily, pulled, and a tall, triangular sail unrolled from the forestay. The wing-like mainsail and its equally tall foresail drove the boat onward in a flurry of spray, slicing over the surface of waves, one moment surging high into the crests and then scudding down the hills of water to the troughs. Though chilled by wind and spray, Astrea forgot his anger and excitement at the speed of the boat and the seamanship of the men that sailed her. The harbour mouth was long past. Behind them the higher of two headlands appeared and disappeared between the moonlit waves. Before Astrea had time to marvel at the distance they had covered in so short a time, Adramin gave another curt order, and turned the boat to take the wind over her starboard quarter. The sailors busied themselves with the halyards, and a second foresail rose to catch the wind. It was as large as the mainsail, and shaped to cup the wind. Astrea watched it rise, fill, and then felt the boat sway and shudder as the foot of the new sail touched a wave. The sailor beside him hooked a short spar into its windward clue. The boat shook again. The sail filled with a snap and it was as if a huge hand had thrust the boat forward, picking it off the waves and hurtling it from crest to crest. If the speed had been heady earlier, now it was intoxicating, so dangerous that disaster was not worth worrying about. The boat 
climbed a wave, balanced on its crest, then dipped its bow, held the position, and slid down the long, smooth slope in a smother of spray. The crew leaned aft to raise the bow. The boat climbed out of the trough and almost lost contact with the water at the top of the next wave. The hull thrummed to the ripples on the tops of the waves across which it slid, and from the stays came a high musical whine to add to all the watery sounds from where the boat met and danced over the water. Moonlight etched dark shadows onto moving water. The white sails caught the light and gleamed high above Astraea's head in a treble spear-point aimed at the stars. The hood of Adramin's waterproof jacket hid his face, but his ring gleamed green on the fist. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. The hood of Adramin's waterproof jacket hid his face but his ring gleamed green on the fist he held just ahead of his chin. By its eerie light, Astraea saw the intensity of the man's concentration as he held the boat sailing on a knife-edge balance between speed and disaster. There could be no thought of questioning him, arguing with him, or debating the whys and wherefores of the kidnapping, even though Astraea had to clench his teeth to keep himself from shouting at the man whose fast-flying boat was taking him ever further from Lindy. After a time filled with swift, distance-devouring motion, Adramin snapped a one-word command over the constant sounds of sea and wind. The man nearest the mast stood, one arm caught around the stays, and leaned out to windward. After a few heartbeats he raised his free arm to point ahead, and to starboard. Adramin gave orders again. The crew trimmed the bellying sails, and the boat moved to a beam reach, water lapping the lee gunnels. As the boat slid along the foam of a wave crest, Astraea suddenly saw their destination. At first he thought it a white cloud, low to the water, until he saw the distinctive shape of sails. But what sails, and to what heights the masts rose! 
As they neared, Estrella started to glimpse the hull below. It was immense, broad as the molly was long, and far more sleek and smooth in every line, churning towards them, close-hauled, with the white spray of her bow-wave lit by the moon, came a ship that proved Estrella's father had not imagined what he had drawn. Adramin steered straight for the mother-ship, while his crew made preparations Estrella could not see. The ship's bow bore down on them like a headland cut loose from the shore, the water under the huge forefoot splashing a continuous waterfall. Adramin charged the bow-wave only the boat's length from the ship's bowsprit. The boat almost leaped out of the water. As it smacked down under the lee of the ship, its sails suddenly fell slack. The four men worked feverishly. "'Jibe ho!' shouted Adramin. Astrea swallowed. "'Surely not, under all this press of sail.' But Adramin's timing was perfect. The sails swung across during the few instants while they were within the big ship's wind-shadow. The sailors struck the second foresail, and as the boat came around, they manned the weather-side just as the wind struck them again. Now they chased the ship in a long, dancing rush that brought them up the bubbling wake that glowed with phosphorescent light. They climbed the humped turbulence of water with the ship's stern-post above them, slid off the ship's stern-wave to port, and surged forward until they overlapped the ship to windward. Adramin stood to steer his frail craft along the black wall that was the ship's side. Ropes curled down from the deck above, dimly gleaming in the yellow light of the ship's lanterns. Sailors hooked them to eye-pads set in the boat's keelson. Then the sails and masts crumpled down together, enveloping Astrea in canvas. For several heartbeats he could not see. He was slung sideways within the sail, and he braced for what must be the inevitable collision. When his head came clear, he saw that the jolt he had felt was the entire boat lurching into the air, hauled upward by the recovery lines. Moments later it swayed inboard over the ship's broad deck, and then thumped to rest in a cradle. The sailors coiled ropes and stowed sails at a more leisurely pace. Adramin stood for a moment, perhaps savouring his accomplishment, then gesturing to Astrea to follow. He swung himself over the side of the boat and dropped to the deck below. Unable to guess how far to expect, Astrea arrived with a thump on all fours, having fallen from shoulder height. He stood up and strove not to gawp. Hooded lanterns cast light onto what felt like wood under his feet, but when he looked down he saw that it lacked seams of planking. Men came and went silently around him, securing the boat and its gear. Estrella looked up at a huge boom that angled above the deck, and above it to the curve of a sail rising into the darkness. He heard a sound from above like an endless sigh, as canvas of unguessable size transformed wind into speed. "'Follow!' snapped Adramin. Estrella walked across the angled deck, feeling it rise and fall so regularly and evenly that he could almost walk as easily as on land. They passed halyards as thick as Estrella's wrist, belayed on pins longer than his forearms, around the shaft of a mast that dwarfed the ropes it bore. He had no time to marvel, as he followed Adramin towards the stern, past a deck-house with a forward-facing window in which he glimpsed a green glow. Then they went down a dozen steps of a companionway, 
to where a narrow passage was lit by a single dim lantern. Estrella turned astern towards a closed door where he stripped off his jacket and hung it from a hook. At his gesture, Estrella copied him. Adramin knocked. Enter, said an old man's voice, muffled by the door and the sounds of the sea around the ship's hull. Adramin waved Estrella inside. The cabin was mostly in shadow. One overhead lamp drew Estrella's eyes to a man sitting behind a centrally placed table. Light gleamed on long white hair, parted in the middle, and then severely drawn back in two thick strands like folded wings. Estrella could see the man's forehead and white eyebrows, but his eyes were almost hidden in shadow. An enveloping dark cloak concealed his entire body, giving no clue to his height or weight. The man's face was old and somehow bird-like. His clean-shaven cheeks were hollow, and as the light above his head swung with the motion of the ship, Astrea saw deep lines below high cheekbones and a curved beak of a nose. Long lines ran from the corners of his mouth down towards his chin, where the slack skin of old age roped down his neck. The man's thin lips were tightly compressed, and the corners of his mouth turned down. Adramin's hand flew up to the fist-on-throat salute he had given Estrella. The white head tilted back, and Estrella looked into his eyes, which momentarily widened with surprise. "'Estrella!' exclaimed the white-haired man. The old man's left hand and forearm appeared like a conjuring trick through the armhole in a dark cloak. Green light gleamed on his thin forearm, lighting eyes pale with age. Estrella's chin rose in acknowledgment of his name, even though it was pronounced strangely. For a moment the old man's mouth sagged open, then his jaw clamped shut. He glanced at Adramin and swiftly looked back at Estrella. The fingers of the raised hand made a summoning motion, and then disappeared again under his cloak. "'Report!' snapped the thin lips. As his black-clad figure settled back into his chair, the old man's face once more became the focus of the room. "'At your command,' Adramin began, in a formal, compressed voice, unlike the arrogant tone he had used when speaking to Estrella. "'I sailed to the harbour gaff-rigged and made fast at the wharf. Once ashore, my stone would no longer steady on the ship. Instead, it led me to an inn where it pointed at this man as he sat eating.' Not wishing to cause a disturbance, I watched him until he went to his room. I followed and saw that he wears Estrella's clasp of rank, or a copy, if that was possible. He claims to have received it from his mother, who had it from his father. He agreed to come on board. Then I loaded him in the longboat and brought him here. That's not— began Estrella, but Adramin talked him down. The resemblance, master, is— uncanny. This is why that, at first sight, I saluted him. Hadrimin's last few words came out of him with difficulty, like those of a man confessing to a crime. Just a moment! Hadrimin's breath rasped in his throat, clearly indicating that by interrupting, Estrella was breaking an iron rule of deference to the master. Estrella ignored the warning. In the boat he had felt a moment of blind fury, but had been unable to move. In the calm of the cabin, Adramin's self-serving partial report was infuriatingly unfair. 
Barely holding his anger in check, Astrea looked at the old man's guarded expression, so different from the emotional moment when he had spoken Astrea's name. Just a moment, he repeated as hard and steady as he could. There's more. He left out that his men knocked me out, trust me like an animal, and more importantly, says nothing of what he did with my friend. A straw-headed girl, grunted Adraman, who has gone through danger with and for me, was willing to come with me, and who expects my return. Estrella concluded, ignoring Adraman's interruption. Master, I acted at your command, said Adraman. By what right did you send him to kidnap me? You will learn, said the old man. The old eyes narrowed. He took a small notebook from an unseen drawer in the table and chose a page carefully. Where did you get your clasp? My father gave it to my mother before I was born. Is there anything written inside the band? he asked. Follow your star, said Estrella. Show me the clasp. Again Estrella saw the old man's eyes exploring his face. For a moment Astrea was spellbound, then anger boiled up within him once more. He rolled back his sleeve and unclipped the bracelet from his arm. Beside him, Adramin took a quick breath of astonishment. Astrea held out the bracelet in his right hand. Cold white fire blazed in the heart of the stone, lighting Astrea's fingers. The old man extended his hand palm up to receive it. Astrea held the shining stone at arm's length, looked into the old man's eyes, and then, as he felt the strong need to keep it, clipped the bracelet back on his arm. That was conclusive, said the old man quietly. I cannot take it away from him while he lives. He continued, musing to himself, I do not know anyone, even a son, who has worn another clasp, save with the fire completely gone out. The claim that his mother wore it while she was with child is absurd, impossible, but— His voice tailed off, and he shook his head thoughtfully, his white hair swaying against his lean temples. Then he stood and moved swiftly round the table, his cloak flaring out from his shoulders. He stood looking at Estrella from a distance of only a couple of handspans. The old man's eyes narrowed, then relaxed somewhat. When he spoke— his tone of voice was entirely neutral. Estrella, Estrella's son, I am Oron, master of Cygnus, grand master of the fleet. Your cousin Adramin stands beside you. You are my grandson. Estrella stood silent under the burden of too much emotion-laden information. He intuitively accepted what he had been told, but at the same time he wanted to know how and why his grandfather had suddenly decided to accept him. As he took a breath to ask questions, Oron turned away, returned to his chair, and sat. Adramin, show him to quarters. We will talk further tomorrow. This time it was not anger but incredulity that made Astrea speak. We will talk now, about how and when I return to the harbour. You will obey my command. You have given me no reason to do so. You are Estrella's son, said the old man almost to himself, just as headstrong and mutinous as he. To mutiny you must first join. I have not joined your ship. I was kidnapped. I agreed only to— You must understand, Estrella, Oron continued, as if Estrella had not spoken. 
We do not deal with landsmen. No interaction. Adramin interacted with the innkeeper to find me, and my father interacted a whole lot more than that. Was it his imagination, or did Oron wince? He lived and married in the village, and he died, respected as a sailor among sailors. Coastal fisherman, snorted Adramin. Oron turned slowly, one hand gesturing silence. Astrea continued to speak to the hawk-like face, willing himself not to be compelled by the old man's unblinking stare. I went with Adramin because I've been seeking answers to who my father was and where he came from. I expected to find out more, not to be kidnapped. Now I'm separated from my friend, and—' "'And you have found us,' said Oron. "'Now you are aboard, Astrea. You cannot be separated.' from your inheritance. Looking for my way home, concluded Estrella firmly. The village is my home. Is it, Estrella? Estrella looked into the pale eyes and fell silent. He wondered, as he met the level stare, how the old man seemed to guess that he had grown up among people to whom he was forever a foreigner. It was as if the old man knew that he'd been betrayed by Yan and abandoned by Roaring Jack. Then, as he was about to turn his eyes downward and be forever humbled, Oron raised his left hand, and Astrea saw a bracelet like his own gleam within the sleeve of the old man's cloak. "'My mother and the people of the village are not different from you,' said Astrea, the quick words leaving his lips unbidden, "'and the stones aren't all that special. I—you are not different from us, my grandson.' "'That's not what I mean.' He'd been about to tell Oron that Lindy could control a stone as well as he, but the interruption changed his mind. You can't say that about people who are strong and loyal and honourable. At the last word, Oron's eyes narrowed. You speak of honour, he began, his voice condescending, even though you have learned nothing of the code. I have known honourable people, said Estrella, and hesitated as he remembered how the Molly had sailed without him. "'Landsmen, ah,' began Oron, "'and you would have me break faith with them,' Estrella thought of Lindy's eyes, looking back into his own, with her level, honest gaze, and stared at Oron until it was he who glanced away. Looking at Oron became easier, as he recognized that the old man's unblinking gaze was a deliberate trick of command, even more effective than Roaring Jack's use of his huge voice. "'There's a great difference in the breed,' said Oron slowly, in the tone of someone reciting an oft-repeated lesson. "'Between landsmen and men of the sea stand our laws, as well as the deeper differences of blood and brain, and the reasons we sail, about which you know nothing. We cannot allow ourselves to be sullied by their lower natures.' "'Lower natures? Is that what you believe?' I doubt my father thought so. He fumbled in his pocket and pulled out the little book. He put a lot of effort into understanding the men and women with whom he lived and worked, and I doubt he'd have done so if he thought their natures any less important than his own. Let me see that, demanded Oron. Estrella slid the book onto the table, and Oron sat in his chair to examine it below the gently swinging lantern. At first his attention was cursory. It is in Estrella's hand, began Oron, and then he spoke to himself. 
but it's fragmentary, as one who has lost the discipline of his thought. Your son wrote it, said Estrella, and he coded what he wrote so that only friendly eyes could read it. You can read it, then, huh? said Adramin scornfully. I can read the words, said Estrella, but there is much here I don't understand. That is why I wanted to find out. Adramin did not even look at him. So Estrella's attention returned to Oron, who shifted in his chair and bent forward, tipping the book to catch more lamplight. Estrella seethed with questions, and he grew more impatient by the moment. He reached out his hand to the back of a chair that he had just noticed was tucked under his side of the table. Beside him, Adramin growled a warning. Sit, both of you, said Oron without looking up. When they were both seated, Estrella spoke again. I know it has something to do with the patterns of marriages, births, and deaths in my village, but who told you? A man I met on the way to the castle. He knew, or at least he knew about, the men of the sea. Lindy thought so, too. She knew some of the symbols, because they are also used for records in her village. A woman? Oron's voice was incredulous. Yes, a woman, replied Estrella. He no longer felt the awe that had been created by the trip to the ship, its size, and the meeting with the man who is his grandfather. Anger was still beneath the surface of his mind, but he concentrated on negotiating, arguing, gaining control. A woman who expects me back. Whether or not you accept the fact that there are links between landsmen and you, there are bonds for me, and I intend to fulfill my promises. You'll have a long swim, muttered Adramin. Separate breeds, repeated Oron abstractedly, turning the pages of the book. You can only be half right, even by your own ideas, returned Estrella. My mother is of my village, a landsman to you. You can't accept half of me. I'm a part of both, or I'm nothing. The old man looked up, his eyes narrowing once more. He looked at Estrella, and Estrella looked back their mutual exasperation strengthening. The old man's thin lips moved, but he made no sound. Adramin stood, scraping his chair backwards. His hand closed painfully on Estrella's shoulder. We are dismissed. Forget the landsman. No! shouted Estrella, standing up and knocking Adramin's hand away. I will not abandon people who have stood by me. What is your honor if it makes me faithless? Forget them, said Oron. There are other women. We can find you one, or more. I did not search after my father's people to forsake my friends. You are indeed Estrella's son. You bear the book in which he wrote. You feel the pull of the clasp on your arm. And you are as reckless in your loyalties. But you are one of us. Estrella pushed back his sleeve, unclipped the bracelet, and tossed it onto the table. The white light in its center blazed as it fell through the air, and then dulled to a green ember in front of Oron. Put it back on, boy. Estrella, put it on. The light must not be lost. My honor must not be lost, said Estrella evenly. We came north in answer to this stone, said Adramin. And for what? To see a lubber throw it away? He doesn't know what he's doing. I know that neither of you control my bracelet, said Estrella. If you had the power, you'd have used it and swallowed your honor as a fish swallows bait. But for some reason you need the stone. 
and that means you need me as well. So you have to bargain, since I have duties as strong as yours. Oron shook his head. Then the stone lies there until its light goes out, said Estrella. I don't think you could force it on me. Estrella knew he had guessed correctly from the twisting of Oron's mouth and the fact that Adramin still stood irresolute beside him. Estrella sat down slowly and stared across the table at his grandfather. A part of his mind wondered how he was able to face down those people, but he stoked the anger that had made him speak out and stubbornly clenched his teeth. Across the table from him the old man's eyelids drooped, hooding his eyes for a moment, and then the lamplight gleamed on his white hair as his head bent back and the sharp chin jutted forward. Adramin, can you make another crossing tonight? Adramin's answer came almost at once. No, master. Oron turned his face to Estrella. You see, already we are too far away. Then turn this ship around. Oron shook his head. Even for you, my grandson, I cannot, he said in a tone different from anything Estrella had so far heard. The tone of command was gone, and in its place was an exhausted, matter-of-fact statement of circumstances the old man could not change. Other ships claim our attention, he continued. There is a summoning to the city of the sea. Even for your death, Astrea, my son's son, it cannot be otherwise. The safety of the fleet and my ship demand it. When will you return? We can be back into these waters in less than a month if the fish run true, said Adramin. Astrea and Oron continued to look at each other, probing the relationship of blood and likeness. Oron stared at his grandson for a moment unguardedly. Astrea's eyes fell to the table between them, more persuaded by the old man's momentary emotional weakness than he had been by his tone of command. Oron was foreign, strange and the latest of many people to thwart him, but there was a subtle shift, a softening of his grandfather's attitude towards him, which might be turned toward agreement. While Astrea searched for something that might persuade the old man to let him return, Oron drew his cloak around him and lowered his head so that he stared fixedly at the green stone in Astrea's bracelet on the table in front of him. Astrea followed Oron's gaze. Put it back on, Astrea. It's yours even though you have much to learn before you can carry its authority. Astrea's hand twitched, but he did not reach out. His anger was waning, and with it his strength of purpose. Something demanded that he reclaim his bracelet, but he fought against it. What is it to you? he asked. Badge of rank? Talisman? Signal of belonging? But first and foremost the heart of navigation— it points to the mother ship where the shipstones are, and with training it can be used to control them. When your father did not return, I watched his echo stone, knowing that when it dulled he would be dead. It dimmed and never showed the white light at its centre that would have allowed us to trace it, but it kept the same luster, season after season, year after year, and this year it reawoke. When I started wearing this, said Estrella, pointing to the stone. The old man nodded. We came north, 
as we had done before, and it kept brightening. I hoped Estrella might be alive. Estrella felt himself a poor substitute in Oron's eyes, and his moment of sympathy for the old man evaporated. Then, when Adramin cleared his throat as if to enter the conversation, and Oron glanced sideways in his direction, Estrella understood that they expected him to be showing some kind of distress at separation from his bracelet. His fingers strayed to his arm, where the stone had tingled so often, and he felt an indefinable sadness, a sense of loss. As he inspected the feeling, he became aware that the value of what lay on the table was far greater than he had imagined. He was sure that there was more, much more, that Oron could show him. The desire to learn that Scaram Ian had awakened in him flared into a curiosity stronger than anything he had ever experienced. Despite his annoyance at the unfairness of the men of the sea, who kept secrets from men like Roaring Jack and all the other skippers who needed a way of finding their way home, there was much here he wanted to know. Should he, could he, return to Lindy, or should he learn to control these stones? Estrella was poised between the two in an excruciating moment of indecision. He had made the case for returning, but at the back of his mind now he wanted to stay. Perhaps he could learn and take back the secret. He could carry skills and knowledge to others, to share with Lindy. She would be proud of him. She would see reason in his staying, an abject foolishness in missing the chance to amass knowledge. Besides, he had no way of returning. As Adramin said, it was too far to swim. Master, Grandfather, Will you put your hand on your own green stone and tell me that you will return soon? Oron's piercing eyes fixed on him, and the old man's clasp glowed on his arm. Estrella regretted the last vague word. When you take your clasp and return it to your arm, he said, then I will do as you ask later, if you still wish it, grandson. Behind his shoulder, Astrea heard Adramin suck in his breath. Astrea guessed that his cousin was appalled that the master was bargaining rather than commanding. Astrea felt his advantage return, as he guessed that Adramin's ringstone was not as powerful as Astrea's, which was about the same size as the one on Oron's arm. Promise that you will return. The old man's hand moved slowly to cover his stone, and he stared into Astrea's eyes. When you know more of what you are and can do, I will ask you if, when you've done whatever it is that you must at the city, prompted Estrella, very well, we will confer after the city of the sea. Estrella slowly reached out his hand, took up his bracelet, and clipped it onto his left arm. The green light intensified, and the white spear flashed. Opposite him, Oron's shoulders lowered as the old man's tension ebbed. "'Show him to his quarters, Adramin. Outfit him as befits a kinsman and a man of the sea. Help him learn our ways. I charge you in this.' The stone on Adramin's finger flashed as he brought his fist to his throat. "'At your command, master.' "'Estrella, you will attend me to-morrow morning.' Estrella wondered whether to copy Adramin's gesture, and decided instead to nod. "'Then follow the law and await my command.' Estrella recognized a formula of dismissal. 
He stood up, slid his chair back into place, and followed Adramin out the door. My father's book. Adramin closed the door and paused. As he turned on Astraea, the lantern lit his face in profile, sharpening its arrogant angularity. Forget your book. It's the master's now. He'll tell you about it when he's ready, when he's taught you more than you've ever dreamed. Now, grab your jacket and follow me. He walked swiftly down the passage, balancing to the movement of the ship with the ease of one for whom it was second nature. Estrella followed him, pulling on his jacket as he went. As the green light of the stone vanished under the black, waterproof material, Estrella thought of Lindy, and his spirits sank. He had sold out. Greed for knowledge of the mystery behind the green stones had won out, and he was ashamed. And Oron had his father's book. What would he make of the riddle? Astraea slowed, stopped, and stood. The words his father had written ran through his mind. Hand of Gian Far draws on shore. Star sets in song where stones roll in the tide. Sun of or on plots a course to the city of the sea as dim clasps light no more. Thinking of your little piece ashore, going all teary-eyed. Get a move on, lubber. Estrella startled as if he had been struck, his fists clenched. He strode forward so quickly he almost ran into Adramin, who had stopped and opened a narrow door. Your space, for as long as you measure up to the master's expectations, and mine too. Estrella took a step into the gloom, staggering as Adramin's hand shoved him between the shoulder-blades. The door closed behind him with a metallic click, and Estrella was alone in the dark, listening to the sound made by the ship's hull rushing through the water. He took off the waterproof jacket, and light bloomed from his bracelet, illuminating the cabin. It was not much longer fore and aft than the bed that lay beside the slightly curved wall, on the other side of which Astraea knew was the sea. He turned, banged his shins against a chest against the cabin wall, and sat on it, grateful of the chance to relax some of his tension. Leaning his forearms on his knees, he took a deep breath and tried to make sense of the last few crowded hours. His meeting with Oron had run the gamut through anger, defiance, a sudden craving for knowledge, and in the end a compromise that left him ashamed. That way lay despair, so he deliberately reflected on the trip on Adramin's strange, fast boat that had brought him to the ship. He recalled the first sight of the huge hull in which he was now, what, a prisoner? A prodigal grandson? An unwelcome relative, as far as Adramin was concerned, that was certain. And as he mused, he again was torn by the abrupt parting from Lindy, and rueful that he had capitulated to Oron's vague promise. He stared at the stone, noticing that the spear of light was aligned with the ship. Hm, I didn't ask it to do that. And in the instant he muttered, decided to rebel against whatever controlled his stone. Astraea replayed Gar's words in his mind. Think north, Astraea. At first nothing happened, and then gradually the spear of light pointed at almost a right angle to the ship's midline. Astraea smiled grimly. He did have control, even here. 
He tried to swing the spear of light away from North, and again was successful, although behind his eyes he felt as if he were pushing his head against a wall. He rubbed a spot above his right eyebrow and tried again. This time nothing happened. His head now ached, but he did not give up. The cabin darkened. He blinked, momentarily at a loss, and greenish light again flowed from the stone on his bracelet. I made it wink. He refocused his concentration, and the cabin darkened again. He counted two heartbeats, willed the light to return, and it did. Three's a charm. One more time he was in darkness, and then his stone blazed again. The pain in his head lessened, but he suddenly needed to lie down. He took off his shirt and breeks and dropped them on the chest. He stood, took the short stride to the bed, and slid between rough blankets. Once he was lying flat, he felt the soothing movement of the ship, but although he was exhausted by the events of the day, he could not sleep. Where was Lindy? Was she safe? Did she blame him for what had happened? Did your stone wink, Lindy? Did I reach you? Estrella asked the darkened cabin. There was a knock on the cabin door. You all of a piece in there? The voice was neither Oron's nor Adrimin's. I'm all right. Word from the master. You're not to do whatever you're doing with the clasp, because you're throwing the ship off course. All right. I wasn't planning to do anything more anyway. You'd better not. Master'll be right upset if you do, and that's something you don't want to see. Take it from me. Um, thank you. Don't mention it. Dramin tell you about the head? The what? Washplace, privy, shitter. No. Two doors ahead along the passage. Thank you. Night, then. Estrella could not hear footsteps going away, but since he had not heard them approach, he did not know if the passage was empty. He sank back onto the bed and listened to the water rush past only a hand's breadth of the ship's hull between him and the ocean. He thought to pulse his stone again, in spite of Oron's orders, but he was too tired to do more than watch its green glow until he could no longer keep his eyes open. As he slept, he did not see his stone dim and brighten three times. You have been listening to the Astraea Trilogy, Book Two, The Men of the Sea, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astraeatrilogy.com for more about Astraea's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.